Welcome back, friends. You're listening to Parenting for the Culture on the Black Love Podcast Network. And I am your host, Cherise Sims, mama to six beautiful heavens, ages 13, 11, 9, 7, and four-year-old twins. Uh, I'm also an early educator that works in the classroom and with PBS Early Learning. I'm a wife to Professor Hiram Sims and co-founder of the Sims Library of Poetry in Los Angeles, California. If you have not been by, come stop by and check us out, especially if you love poetry and children's books. We've got everything you need. Nobody paid me to do that ad. (laughs) And if anybody was going to pay me, it was going to be me to advertise for my own business. Uh, But anyways, I'm so glad to be back here with you guys today. As always, I like to start with the peak and pit of my day. Today, I'm actually going to start with the pit. I feel like usually I say the peak and then the pit, but actually at home, we usually start with the pit and then talk about the peak. Uh, It doesn't really matter the order. Sometimes we just like to end on a high note, but sometimes the pit gives us more to talk about. But today, I'm going to start with the pit. My pit is short and simple. It's actually that I I recently, like starting yesterday, I started re-feeling this pain in my C-section incision. So like the same felt pain that I felt when I was first healing from it, I'm like re-feeling that pain. And I don't know what it is. I think if I feel it for a little bit longer, I'll go get it checked out. However, I kind of just think it's because my children have like recently been gone. And so that incision is obviously like where my womb is. And I feel like (laughs) this might sound real deep, y'all. You can laugh if you want. But I really think it's because my oldest daughter is still gone. And I'm like, my body is missing her and I'm missing her. And even though I didn't have a C-section with her, it's still where my womb is. And I kind of feel like my body is like, hey, your baby's gone. And so I feel like that's where I feel the pain. I don't know. Maybe I should go to a doctor. Maybe it's something deeper, but I'm going with that. When she comes back, if I still feel the pain, I'll go see a doctor, y'all. Okay. Um, But the peak of my day, uh, as many of you know, I get the pleasure of being able to work where my children go to school or my children get to go to school where I work. So I get to step in and see them in the classroom often or have them in my own classroom. And that is always the peak of my day. I love my children. (laughs) I know I'm a mom. I know I'm supposed to love my children, but like I really, really love my children. Sometimes it's weird to me the way that I love them. Like I love them in a way as if they're not even mine. Like I just love to sit back and watch them live and watch them grow and do things. And I'm always looking at them and I'm just like, they're so freaking cute. They're so cute the way they do that. Look at the way they sew. Look at the way they run. Look at the way they have their hair. Oh, look, their hair is a mess. They're so cute. I just like, I'm really, really in love with them. Have y'all ever met a kid that you're just like, that kid is so cute. I love him. I just want to squish him. Well, that's my child. Those are my children. Every time I see them, I just want to hug them and squish them and like watch them from a distance. And and then they throw a tantrum and it brings me back to reality and grounds me. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> This is not all rainbows and sunshine all the time. But anyways, the peak of my day is getting to watch them. They just finished reading a book. Uh, I missed the book, so I don't actually know what the story was about, but it was about a pet donut. I think it was a book about health and nutrition and trying to teach children that they shouldn't eat donuts. I don't actually know, but the book made me want a donut. So if the goal was to not eat donuts, it missed that goal. However, 
they're doing this craft after the book where they're making these these pet donuts out of felt. So they have these little like circle shaped donut shaped felt pieces and they were each given a needle and thread. And so they're sewing their donut pieces together and filling them with stuffing and then decorating them with like little googly eyes and sprinkles. And it's really, really cute to watch. And I'm actually talking about this a little bit more because it's going to lead me into what I want to talk about today, which is talking about building resilience in children. So as I'm downstairs, and I'll preface by saying my role right now, I'm more of an administrator and a floor manager. So I'm kind of just walking around, checking in, making sure everybody has everything, taking some pictures for social media. Uh, So as I'm walking around, I'm watching these children sew their little pet donuts together and watching them use the needles and watching them mix up their thread. And, you know, they're kids. These children are like five to maybe nine years old. So they're not uh, seamstresses by any means. (laughs) For many of them, this is their first time with a needle and thread, which is super exciting to them. And also exciting just because they've been given something sharp to use. And they're like, what? You trust me with something sharp? I'm in. (laughs) So few of them are like doing a really good job doing their little stitch that they learned today. A few of them have their pieces of yarn like totally jumbled up and in giant knots. A few of them are having a lot of fun taking their time, pulling the needle and thread through. You know, it was really cute. My son was about to put the needle through. His teacher told me he was holding the felt on the other side where when the needle got through, it looked like the needle was going to poke his finger. And so his teacher kind of stepped closer. Like he didn't say anything. He was like, all right, I'm going to let him try this, but I'm going to step closer to make sure that he doesn't hurt himself. And my son, without even looking at his teacher, sees him out the corner of his eye, stops the needle for a second and says, I know. And then he moves his finger out of the way to push the needle through. And I share that part because it's something that I love about teachers that I think we as parents can do more of, which is to pull back a little bit when we see our kids doing things. Our children actually thrive with a healthy amount of risk. That's teacher talk. Like, oh, I see you taking a healthy amount of risk over here. Children thrive when they're given opportunity and space to take a healthy amount of risk. But a lot of times as parents, we're very quick to jump in and intercede with that risk and not allow them to take the risk, which inevitably will lead to them having lower resilience for things. And we'll talk about that a little more as we go on. So I love the fact that his teacher kind of saw and foresaw that he might have been about to poke himself with this needle, but he waited to see what he was going to do. And I love that my son already knew. Like He was like, no, 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 I'm very aware and I'm actually being very cautious and careful with what I'm doing. And I think that's another thing is like when we jump in real quick, we take away from our children and we undermine them. I don't know if that's the best word because I'm sure a bunch of you just heard the word undermine and was like, what? Undermine a child? No, they're a child. Like There is no undermining them. They are a child. But your children are very capable. One thing I've noticed as a teacher is that children are capable of so much more than we give them credit for. And we often step in the way of their progress and their growth by thinking that they're not able to do something. So in the conversation of building resilience, here's the good news. Building resilience in our children actually means less work for you as a parent. I'm going to start with another story, which is that at the start of the pandemic, when we first went 
virtual. That was a big shift for all of us. And most of my classroom was home with their parents. And I, as a teacher, was at school. I was making all these different packets. So like everything that we would have done in school, I was pre-packaging into packets to drop off at their porches or have like a drive-through pickup for students. And they would come pick up a, a packet for the week where they would have all of their Monday through Friday crafts and activities. And then we would meet on Zoom. We would read our story. We would do our calendar and our lesson. And then we would all pull out our little packets and we would do our craft for the day. Now, me as a teacher, my thought was like, let me make sure that my students have everything they need. And then I'm going to show them online on the screen what we're doing and they're going to follow along and they're going to follow with me. What I noticed ended up happening was that I would send them the crafts and activities. I would start to lead on the screen, which is what we do in class, right? Teachers will often have like a sample one. Here's what you look at. Here's the goal of what you're trying to make. Or teachers will quickly walk you through and show you what you're doing. But teachers are not going to do the thing for the child. And we couldn't even do it even if we wanted to, right? Like one teacher, several students, we can't possibly do all the crafts for them. All we can do is guide them and coach them. And so in this idea of resilience, I want you to think of yourself more as a coach and less of a like doer and a parent in the sense that you've probably known it before. So what was happening is these parents were getting these packets and I noticed that the parents were like taking all the items out of the packet. And then the parents were opening up the glue and putting the glue on the page. And the parents were cutting the pieces for the children that they were supposed to glue on the page. And at the end of the whole activity, the only thing left for the child to do was like, press down a piece of paper on the paper because the parent had already cut it for them. They had already put down the glue for them. They had positioned the glue for them. They had done like essentially all of the work for the child. And the child was kind of just left with the last like press, I'm done. And so I actually ended up having to call a parent meeting outside of our classes <laughs> and one checking in with parents. How's it going? It's a pandemic. Everything's new. How are we doing emotionally? But two, having to tell parents like, hey, I need y'all to back off a little bit. Because what I didn't realize that teachers know and parents don't know is that all of these steps to a project are all parts of their development and are all different skills that we want you to learn. So when we have something that we want a child to cut out, we actually want them to practice cutting it out because it's going to build their gross motor skills or their fine motor skills. When we have glue even if the glue is towards the end of the glue and you got to squeeze really hard to get the glue down on the paper, that again is building your finger muscles, which helps you with writing, which helps you with forming your letters when you're writing. So these things are not like little things that are just, oh, I can do this for them because the goal is to make a paper flower. No, 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 no. The goal is the whole thing. The goal is the squeezing of the glue. The goal is the cutting of the paper. The goal is positioning of the paper to see if you can match what you're looking at and to see if you can recreate what you're looking at. The goal is to let them do what they want and like make their flower creative and different from the one that they're looking at. There are so many goals within a project. And so often parents are stepping into the goal and taking away from all of the many lessons that are in what seems like one little project. A lot of times when our children are doing a project, whether they're working on their homework at home or maybe they're playing with Play-Doh, what we do is we hear a cry, we hear a whimper, we hear a frustration, and we step in. When I was walking around downstairs and they were making these pet donuts, one of my friends got really frustrated and he crumpled up his whole donut. 
because the the string just wasn't going the way that he wanted to, it to. So he crumpled up the whole donut and he was about to get rid of the whole thing. As a parent, when we see these situations, we step in and we're like, what's wrong? It's beautiful. It looks good. Don't you want it here? I'll fix it. Let me show you how this is fixable. As a teacher, we make space for those feelings. We're like, hey, you, you're looking frustrated. What's going on? We let them tell us what's happening. I'm just frustrated. I can't get this string to do what I want the string to do. And we say, well, let's take a look at it. Can you uncrumple it? And we coach them. We just use our words. I don't say, let me see it. I don't uncrumple it for them. I don't unjumble the string for them. I say, oh God, yeah, this does look frustrating. Look at this all jumbled up. This string is in a lot of knots. How did we get here? How can we undo this? Sometimes it's a little bit of reverse psychology. Sometimes it's like, oh, we, we play into them, right? We're like, man, this is a mess. Well, we can't finish this. Now what do we do? And then they come up with an idea. Well, actually, I think maybe I can get this back through this loop and I can untie it. And then the response is, how did you think of that? That's a great idea. Let's try it. Right? As parents, we need to do this more where we step back and we observe. In last week's episode, we talked about emotional regulation and making observational statements. We're doing the same thing with our children when they're working on projects or when they're building something. We're just making observational statements. Wow, what are you building? Oh, that's looking frustrating. Wow, how can we fix that? What do you think we can do? Maybe we should just take a break from it and walk away. We're giving them suggestions, observations, but helping them to get the skills to critically think and problem solve on their own. And if they can't do it on their own, feel free to make a suggestion. But before you make that suggestion, you can say to them, can I make a suggestion? I think I have an idea. Do you want to hear it? What if we, and then X, Y, and Z, and you go into your suggestions of whatever it is. Why and how does this build resilience? Because it teaches the child to actually process the experience. It teaches the child to work through the challenging moment, the challenging feeling, to figure out a solution, and then to execute the solution, rather than you just coming and fixing it. Because our goal in raising our children is to raise self-sufficient humans, right? People that can turn into adults and do these things on our own. They're not necessarily going to learn how to do it if we're doing it all of the time. Even though they're watching us, half the time when we just do it, especially if we come and save them in emotional distress, they're not actually learning the process. They're not learning our thoughts of how we thought to do this, how we thought to entangle it. So it's more beneficial and we build more resilience in our children when we allow them to just feel frustrated for a moment and then support them to think of a solution. You know, another thing that I think of is a time recently where we took children to the beach. Y'all, it was windy as I don't know what outside. The wind had to have been going like 25 miles per hour right here in Santa Monica, California. And we take this group of children down to the beach. And mind you, like these kids are short. So the wind is hitting me on the legs and it's hurting my legs because we're at the beach. So when I say wind, I actually mean sand. So there's like little tiny rocks hitting my legs at 25 miles per hour. It's hurting me. It's hitting these kids in the arm and in the face because they're lower to the ground. And all these kids are like, I want to go home. I don't want to be here anymore. This is horrible. And I'm thinking like, yeah, why are we here? Because I'm with an, another teacher also who brought us to the beach. And I'm like, why are we here? <laughs> this, this is crazy. We need to go inside. We need to go home. 
And the teacher looks at me and she's like, nope, we're going to be here. They're going to accept that this is nature and we're going to enjoy this. And I'm thinking like, no, this is too much. We got to go. But what actually ended up happening that day was I literally watched these children go from like, not tears. They weren't actually crying, right? They weren't being abused, but they were like whining and desperately wanting to leave. But I watched them go from really not enjoying themselves to accepting the fact that this is what it looked like. Yes, it is windy. Yes, it is cold. Yes, it is sandy. And yes, I am here. And yes, I don't want to be here. That's that validation process, right? And validation actually helps us into acceptance. So I watched them go from not wanting to be here, accepting the fact that they were here, then embracing the fact that they were here. And then I saw them find like the joy and beauty of being there. These kids literally started shouting out, Miss Cherie, stop. Do you hear that? What they were telling me to stop and listen to was the sound of the wind. The wind was so loud and the way that it was traveling, the wind was actually singing to us. And that's not even something that I said. That's something that the children said. They said, do you hear that? The wind is singing. And it was so beautiful and poetic. And then from there, we started walking on the beach and they found a place where they could jump. Like the little sand had made kind of a little cliff. And so they were jumping off the sand cliff. And before you knew it, these children were having the time of their life. They were happy. They were laughing. They were dancing to the sound of nature. (laughs) But I watched that moment. And for me, it was such a beautiful moment as a teacher, as a person, because to me, that was a moment where you see the most resilience build. Because when you think of resilience, like resilience is, is the ability to come back from something, to overcome something, to not be shut down by something. And if you're listening to this, then you have experienced life and life has undoubtedly thrown at you several situations that you didn't want to be in. And the difference between someone who is successful and someone who is complacent is resilience. The successful person is the person who is able to look at a pandemic and say, damn, everything's shut down. How do I accept the fact that everything is shut down and online? And how do I adjust and make this prosperous, progressive, profitable, fun, whatever it is, right? Success is someone who can say, okay, there's a recession. I lost my house, but what do I do next? How do I rebuild my money? How do I rebuild my house? How do I find a better job? I'm not happy in this job. How do I find a better one? Resilience is not, or success is not someone coming in and saving you. Success is not oh, snap, you lost your job. Let me give you money. That only gets someone so far and that only helps someone so much. Success happens when we are able to see the challenges of life, accept the fact that they're challenging, and then adjust and move around it. And we easily start to do this with our children from very young. It literally starts with Legos on the floor. They're trying to build a tall tower with Legos, maybe a tower that's taller than them, but the Legos keep falling over when when the tower gets to their shoulders and they break down and they get frustrated. This is that moment where you don't step in and and notice that, you know, the bottom of the foundation is not strong enough and that's why it keeps tipping over. So let me help them and just build this, right? No, you step in and you say, "Oh my god, this is so frustrating. You're working so hard at this and it keeps falling over. What do we do?" And then you let them figure it out. 
You let them be frustrated and you don't get frustrated with their emotions if they throw it. You don't say, hey, stop throwing them Legos. Never mind. We're going to put the Legos away. You, you're throwing them now. You're not getting what you want. We're putting them away. That's not building resilience. That's shutdown. That now is teaching them when I have a problem, when there's a challenge and I get frustrated with the challenge, that means that I can't do this and I should not do this. I should not try. Go do something else. We don't need that. School is going to be challenging. College is going to be challenging. Jobs are going to be challenging. We want to teach our children that when there's a challenge, it's okay to be frustrated. Makes sense that you're frustrated. And now that we're frustrated, now what? How do we fix it? How do we keep going? And we also show them you can fix it and you can keep going. So when our children get frustrated, say, oh, yeah, I see you're frustrated. That makes sense. You're trying to meet this goal and it's not working out. And you can ask, how can I support you? Sometimes it totally is okay to step in and help them. Just don't take over what they're doing, right? And this comes whether it's Legos. One thing that I often run into with our family is my husband loves to do Saturday family days. And as our children get older and vary in ages, the appeal of the activity is vastly different from the oldest child to the youngest child. It used to be where we could say, we're all going to the park this Saturday. And everybody would say, yay, the park. Now it's like, nah, half the kids are like, I don't want to go there. And the other half of the kids are like, yay, but we still do it, right? (laughs) That's my point. So on Saturdays, sometimes we go hiking. Sometimes we go to a museum. Sometimes we'll try a new food place, right? But we try to go to these places as a family. And most of the time, some of our children, two to three to four of our children, absolutely don't want to have anything to do with what's going on. They don't want to go. They're like, I don't like museums. I don't want to go to the museum. I know I'm not going to like it there. And what we as parents do, we don't give in. We're not like, oh, okay, they're not happy. We got to find something else to make them happy. No, it's not my job to make my children happy all of the time. It is my job to give my children opportunities to expose them to different experiences. One thing I tell my children is like, you might like it. Let's go try it. And if you find out you don't like it, then congratulations. You found out what you do and don't like. You know a little bit more about yourself after today. But I'm going to challenge you to go to this museum and find one thing that you like. And if you can't do it, fine. Then you just know what you do and don't like. And I think that's a beautiful place to be. So we don't give in. We allow them this opportunity. And if we go, there have been times we've gone to a museum and they drag their feet and they don't want to be there. This is one of those things where as parents, we kind of feel like we have to please them and keep them happy. No, you ain't got to keep them happy all the time. (laughs) Teach these kids that sometimes it's not fun and they can get through unfun moments. And in those moments, they have choices. They can either choose to continue to not have fun in this moment, or they can choose to find something fun, something good about the moment. And sometimes this happens in retrospect. They might not have fun the whole time, but then in retrospect, they'll be like, well, actually, I did see this one painting that was kind of cool. But these are the teachings and the lessons to how we start to build resilience. It's how we start to build this idea of we're not going to love everything, but we can accept it and we can find a way to turn it around or just find a way to get through it so we can get to the thing that we enjoy. So your homework for this week is to try something new with your child, whether that be a craft, a puzzle, or an outing, and then step back from being the fixer. That first moment that you see yourself wanting to step in and fix a problem, step back and just become the coach and the support. 
Find out how can I support you through this moment and allow your child to struggle a little bit. Allow them to struggle. Allow them to get frustrated. Allow them to not like the thing. Allow them to express that safely and support them to get through it. All right, my friends, that's what I have for you this week. I'm looking forward to being back with you here next week. As always, if you do have a question, you can send it to me on Instagram at Sheree Sims, or you can send it to podcasts with an S at blacklove.com. But this week, remember to go and build resilience in you, in your child and with your child. And let me know how it goes, y'all. I'll talk to everybody next time. Peace, everybody. Peace, everybody.